Hello and welcome to the Future of Work Hub's In Conversation With podcast. I'm Lucy Lewis, a partner in Lewis Silkin's employment team. And in this podcast series, I'll be hosting exclusive discussions with innovators, business leaders and thought leaders to explore their perspective on what the future of work holds. The pandemic has accelerated longer term societal, economic and technological trends giving us a unique opportunity, a once in a generation challenge to rethink who, how, what and where we work. But whilst the pandemic has been a significant catalyst for immediate change, it's only one of the drivers of change that we've been talking about at the future of work. So in this podcast, we're going to be looking in particular at sustainability. Sustainability has been driving change for some time, but the significance to the world of work is accelerating at pace. And in the month where we um, welcome the UN's Climate Change Conference, COP26, to Glasgow, it feels like a really good time to be discussing all of this with today's guest speaker, Andrew McGowan. Andrew is a lawyer. Um, He's most recently spent seven and a half years as General Counsel and Company Secretary for ASOS, and he's now... Director of Sustainability and General Counsel at Berry Brothers and Rudd. He's also founder of Northern Ireland um, focused responsible hiking business, The Inside Trek. Andrew is, is really passionate about environmental and social responsibility, and he has a very strong view that businesses need a long term focus to ensure success. And I'm really delighted to be able to have this conversation with you today, Andrew. So, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Looking forward to chatting. I wondered if you could start just by telling us a little bit about yourself and and your career. What's led you to end up working primarily in the area of sustainability now, obviously, as the director of sustainability and GC at Berry Brothers? Sure. Um, I mean, my background's a traditional legal one, to be honest. Um, You know, law law degree, law school, um, training contract in the city and then a a corporate lawyer um, for a city law firm for five years or so before jumping in-house and doing the typical things at that end, you know, working my way up through a variety of different businesses um, in a variety of different industries before becoming general counsel. And, you know, at that point, uh, sustainability certainly wasn't a feature really in what I was thinking about at all. But when you get to the general counsel level, your role effectively is horizon scanning at the longest or widest terms. You know, I saw it as looking out for the things that, that we weren't thinking about enough, but that could come along maybe quicker than we might imagine and impact the business. So our kind of highest level of risk management. Um, and I suppose about four or five years ago when I started, just as part of doing that very process, when I started to look at what was the biggest risks um, that could come along and impact the, the, the business I was working in ASOS at that time, it, it was it was sustainability. It was the impact that business was having on the uh, on the planet and the people who work on it. And so I got involved in it from a pure hard-headed risk management perspective. It's not to say I didn't believe in it as such, but to me it was just, it was as natural as risk managing any of the other things that I saw within the businesses. And as I got into that, what I realized was that there were probably two aspects of my background that were helpful in that respect. So, you know, I'm certainly not sustainability by by any stretch of the imagination. There are plenty of people are, and they've got a huge role to play. But the legal training, which is kind of outstanding back dispassionately and, you know, 
analyzing what's going on to work out what are the key things that you need to be dealing with and the biggest things that you need to be to be tracking in on so prioritization effectively that skill set i find to be very useful because sustainability is a huge topic there are lots of different things that um they know that people want you to care about and it almost is too big a topic to deal with in one thing so prioritization i think is a huge part of sustainability the other bit then is just as well uh, after sort of 10 15 years of being in boardrooms as company secretary and and general counsel and presenting to boards at a good I had a good understanding of what made executive boards and, and PLC boards tick and, and, and how you got their attention. And that's another thing that, that's crucial to this is to getting boards on side and to presenting it in a way that allows them to wrap their head around it and to be able to to work out what they can do rather than to say it just being brought to them as a huge big problem where the easy natural reaction then is to go, well, that's far too big to deal with, so we'll ignore it, or I'll do the easy things around the side rather than the big things the big things that I've got there. So to me, this is just working sustainability now is, is a natural corollary of the role of a general counsel. And you know, I fully expect it to be a sizable chunk of the um of the remit for pretty much all general counsel going forward if they're not if it's not already that. That's interesting. And um, we'll definitely come back to this idea about how people get started, how you get get buy in before we finish, because we'd love to have your thoughts on that. But one of the things that we've been talking about quite a lot on the Future of Work Hub is the role that employees have in driving that change. This idea that actually what employers employees want from their employers is, is changing. They're expecting their employers to to act with social purpose to be responsible and I wonder if that's something that you've recognized through through your career and if you have why you think that's happening oh yeah I've certainly seen that throughout my career you know it's sustainability is something that your workforce will want to see dealt with who they work for matters to them you know they don't want to have to explain their employer's actions to their their friends and family and you know, that was particularly pertinent, you know, at ASOS, um, there was a, let's say, a younger workforce there than the average company, um, you know, and they were particularly clued in on on sustainability. And, you know, they weren't shy at grabbing me or some of the other executives when the opportunity arise to, to suddenly go, right, I want to talk to you about this and why is happening and why is this happening? And to be honest, I I absolutely hated having to stand in front of them, even one of those colleagues, never mind all of them, without a substantive answer on whatever point they wanted to discuss. So, you know, I think even quickly within the first couple of times, I remember being colored for want of a better word by them. It made me go out and go, actually, we need to have these answers. And, you know, they were they were huge in driving us to look at what we needed to do um so you know the, the the workforce absolutely has a huge part to play and you know what i like about it is that immediately they, they're, they're standing in front of you know the, the, the people who run their business and they therefore have a huge ability to be able to to shape what those people are thinking about or to show them what's important to them and of course those employees are also consumers um do, do you see a change in consumer trends do you, or do you think that's slightly behind? It's, uh, th- there's certainly a long way to go, but I 
don't think you can argue that consumers are beginning to change and, and, and take a lot more into account in that in that respect. You know, there is increased discussion um, and therefore awareness of people about, you know, through things like even the media are beginning to talk about it more in the news, etc. But, you know, because of that increased awareness and discussion with their, their peers and their colleagues, there's absolutely an increased knowledge of what's there. But there's also, you know, combining with that a, a number of other things like, you know, brand culture has increasingly created a situation where you know who you buy from says something about who you are and what you believe in and in particular i think that's manifesting itself in the you know in the the generations a couple of, you know the generations who are younger than i am now you know it's where they spend their money is one of the their limited pounds is one of the few things that they can still control and you know they're beginning to look much more closely at where they can Right. What do the businesses that they buy from stand for and stand for and, you know, what that says about them? It's not universal. You know, people still have to, to live their life and, and we all have to make decisions and, and compromises from time to time. But I think there is an awareness, certainly, of that. And as a result of that, that then is shifting through um, to the businesses are beginning to see, right, OK, not just that this is an opportunity, but that, say, this is something we have to be preparing for, um, you know, albeit that we can argue about how long people are taking to prepare for that. And when we look at those things that are driving change, the other thing that we, we sometimes talk about on the future of Work Hub, and I think it's particularly relevant here, particularly with um, COP26, is what, what should the role of government be in this? We've seen um, some interventions at home, we've seen other things um tried abroad do you think we should be saying that driving the sustainability agenda is the is our expectation of government or or actually is it something that should fall to business i think business need to take it upon themselves first and foremost um you know as i say if it's it's a risk management issue to me and you know businesses should be managing the risk for their own benefit as much as anything else. So I think the primary responsibility sits with businesses to recognize it for what it is, which is a, a huge threat to their to their business, to their business model, to their industry, to the planet and the people that they rely upon. So I think the primary responsibility absolutely sits there. And, you know, it, the businesses should be sitting wrestling with, right, okay, what are the impacts that I have? And what are the biggest impacts that I have? And how do I go about making the biggest difference to those impacts so that I can reduce the likelihood of them happening and the impact of them if they do happen and all that kind of thing. So, you know, the primary responsibility absolutely to me sits with the businesses that are there, but that is not by any stretch to say that the government doesn't have a huge role to play in in helping people. To me, it's about thinking about things. Um, you know, to me, a lot of this is, I'm a big believer that once you start to think about a topic, that you effectively can't stop thinking about it. Once it's in there, it will keep sort of twirling away in your brain. And that's a role to me that that legislation can play. And there's some good examples of that from the past. You know, the the the, the modern slavery um, legislation, the gender pay gap reporting. You know, those have those have led to a lot of positive developments. Now there there's a number of people have issues with those legislations and they're not perfect by any stretch. But to me, a key point is 
that legislation doesn't have to be perfect or all-encompassing in order to be effective if it's focused on the right things. And what I like about both of those examples is that they they made businesses go and look at what they were doing. And in the process, for the bulk of them, in looking at what they're doing, they see things that they don't like and realize that they need to go ahead and deal with. Modern slavery reporting, gender pay gap reporting, the SECR carbon reporting that's part of accounts now, you know, they have led to improvements in those areas just by dint of making people go and find out the data and find out what's happening. Now, could they be better? Oh, look, for sure. Um, you know, I would love to see some of the, effectively the bar steadily increased on those in terms of the amount of information that require or to be coupled up with targets and, and some harder things sitting behind them. But it doesn't mean that those those bits of legislation were, were wrong or incorrect. The key is really that, as I say, to me, they're aiming at a crucial thing, which is transparency and making businesses go and look at what they're talking about and tell people what they're doing. And that that needs to be coupled then with, as I say to me, steadily raising the bar. And that's a kind of approach to me that, you know, it's applicable not just at what government can do, but also within the businesses themselves. It's that bit of, look, go and look at what you're doing, do something and keep improving it. You know, don't get stalled doing nothing where you try to work out exactly what to do. And that feels like a really good time to come back to that that question about how you get business buy-in. I said I was going to to come back to it. We know um, from the 2021 Edelman Trust Barometer, it's something, again, we've been talking about on the Future of Work Hub, that seven out of 10 employees expect their employers to act on social issues, so to act on climate change. And so there's this enormous responsibility, but it's also a really big challenge. And one of the things we both know that happens when the challenge is too big is that people just don't know where to start. Mm-hmm. And so I'd be really interested if you had advice that you can give to the podcast audience about what what are they what should they be doing? How can you go about taking those first steps, those first steps to sort of meaningful, sustainable change? To your point, how do you go about building buy-in so that people actually want to do something about this? Sure. To me, the start one is you need to be sincere and committed to this first and foremost, and then be open about what's in front of you. I'm a big believer in the the people, they understand that this is a complex topic and that they're not expecting perfection straight from the get-go, but that as long as you are being sincere and committed and open on this, um, they will first of all give you, they'll understand that this takes some time to do and that you, you know, that it is difficult to effectively change a business model or business practices that have been in place for decades. So they, they will give you a degree of latitude and time to work out what you need to do. I think they'll also give you the authority and confidence to be able to say, no, um, I'm going to focus on X, Y, and Z. Um, but that's all. that's only if you're being sincere and committed and open about what you're doing. So that has to be the bedrock of what's there is actually going, look, do I, you know, effectively an honest assessment of do I care about this and do I see this as a risk? And if I don't, I'm going to say, why not? But once you've got that, the first thing to me would be like, just start now. You know, don't wait for perfect. Um as I say, that's that's one of the things that if you're being open and honest, I think that you will have that platform to allow you to go in and go, right, let's get on and get something done here. And say, don't get stuck waiting or trying to work out the perfect answer that's here. This is much more a case of 
do and iterate, do and iterate, do and iterate. Um, to help with what you do and iterate, it, to me, it's very much about focusing on the biggest specific impact that your business model will have and then looking at how you can make the biggest difference to those impacts. You know, every business will have different degrees of things that, are, that, that it is causing or that it's creating. You know, so if I look at, at, a, at a wine uh, merchant like Berry Brothers and Rudd, um, you know, almost every step of the business uses something that emits carbon and the one bit that doesn't, which is growing grapes and grain, is acutely affected by carbon. So, you know, you can immediately see carbon leaping out to something that needs to be dealt with. If I look at an online fashion retailer like ASOS, it's about the, the, the finite resources that you're using, the amount of plastics that you're using, and the, the, the tens of thousands of people that are involved in your complicated supply chains. So, you know, yes, it's specific to, to each business, but there will be bigger impacts that leap out when you just step back and look at the kind of business that you are and that the industry, the industry that you're in. And key to me is, right, focus on those because it's making the biggest difference to your biggest impacts that really is, that, that's really what's needed. And also that's what people expect. Anything else other than that is basically greenwash. It's doing the small things around the edges rather than wrestling with the real problem. So I think it's essential. And it's essential off the back of that to also go look for all the other topics to go. I know they're important. I'll do the easy stuff on it, but it is crucial that I spend my time focusing and thinking on the, the biggest impacts that my business model has. Once you've got that, there, data has a huge role to, to play in this. It's getting the underlying data in place. Um, you know, it's only with that transparency of what's happening where that you enable everyone in the organization to understand their responsibility for it, who owns what piece, and how they can go off and then start to set targets and goals to to, to make a difference to that. So there is a bit of, let's call those the underlying foundations that are there, and it's worth taking the time to do the digging in that. Now, again, you don't need perfect in order to start. You just need to, you know, a blank doesn't help you. You don't know what to do when you've got no number there. So finding a number to start with that allows you to go, right, okay, I understand the relative importance of this. It allows you to start whilst you can go back and again, you know, refine that data, make it sharper, improve your learnings from it. So it is, you know, to me, it's another example of that do and iterate, do and iterate approach that I think is essential to this. The next one is to remember that there's a tendency to think that you need to come up with all the answers yourself as well, you know, that... If I sit and look at one of, you know, Berry Brothers, we use a lot of glass bottles and glass requires a lot of carbon to produce it. The immediate instinct is to think, I need to, I need to know the solution to, to glass. Now, that's half true. I do need to be aware of what the solutions are for glass going forward. But effectively, there will be people in every industry doing the thinking about their business model that you are doing for your business model. So rather than trying to answer their problems, you know, what you... To me, the best thing is to stay on top of what's going on in the industries that you rely on, help them to understand that there's a demand for new thinking on this topic and what you want to what you want to achieve, and help them keep the conversation going to work out those answers themselves. Because really, it's by effectively divvying divvying up responsibility for this and everyone looking at their that at their respective areas that will help make this 
um, everything come together the fastest. So it really is again about focusing on right, what's your role and how can you utilize that? And then encouraging the others that you interact with to do that. You know, so part of this will be a, a large part, so this is conversations about reaching out and trying to join up those networks and help everyone do a similar and uh, do similar thinking on that front. You certainly need to have a belief that it can be done, but recognize that there will be big unanswered questions there. And then finally, the key one really for me is to not settle um, you know, until this is finished. Yeah, take the better that's most quickly available, but then keep striving for even better, even better, even better until we get out the other end. Really where we, have, you know, we will have a problem if it's, people think it's just, oh, well, I've, I've made this bit better and I can stop thinking about it then. I don't think really that's how most people work, but you know, this is, I suppose, the key theme of what I've just said there really is about it's do and iterate. It's do and iterate, it's do and iterate, you know, the similar way in which I suppose the big tech companies have been able to um, build huge organizations. To me, that's how we will build the huge solution that's needed to this problem. That's really interesting and actually enormously helpful advice. Thank you. Um, it's been lovely for me because I spent quite a lot of these podcasts talking about the pandemic and and. Um, we haven't had to do that in quite the same way, but I am going to ask you a final question because I've asked everybody in this podcast series to, to share your thoughts on what you personally think will be the biggest and most radical change for the future of work that we'll see come out of the pandemic. That's a good question. Um, I've got one obvious one and one sort of less obvious one, I think I'd say. To me, the biggest one I can certainly see is just that shift in the balance between home and office, um, you know, and the impact that that will have on the property world and what offices are, and to, to some extent, then business working models. You know, I think there is certainly, I don't believe the understanding of a better balance between, um, or, well, I think there's certainly an understanding of people can work, do a certain amount of work as effectively from home as they can be in the office. Equally though, I think there's a better understanding of what the offices do. And I think there will be a better mix of that going forward. This one, the, the one that's sort of a little less obvious, but is maybe a wee bit more specific to the kind of things that I've been working on is, I'd like to hope that there's a shift in risk management away from looking at likelihood assessments as being that important. You know, because that leads you to avoid engaging in advance on unlikely events like the pandemic when it happened and instead there's a move towards looking at you know impact and speed assessments so you know it's it's all the risks that hit fast and hit hard that you need to prepare for um, and certainly that's how i've changed a lot of the way in which i'm a lot of the discussions i'm having um within you know berry brothers and other businesses is to start to look at right what can hit fast and hard and let's start prepping for that. And that likelihood is less useful than we than, than we thought it was. You know, it, but to be honest, I've got no idea if anyone else is doing that. That's just that's a personal learning from looking back at, you know, having been as I say, effectively at broadest level risk management for 10, 15 years and not having properly prepared for a pandemic, if I'm being honest. Well, I mean, I think it's really insightful and it, it is actually something that we've been talking a lot about in these podcasts, the idea that business will need to move away from 
feeling like it can predict everything and move and particularly with employees to upskilling people to be prepared to be prepared for things that you can't necessarily um, predict in quite the same way so I think it is really really insightful and it, it does go to a lot of the skills agenda the sorts of resilience and skills that we need to build in employees to be able to manage things that we can't predict in quite the same way it's been a very good learning for that I, I think. think that's I mean I think you do make a good point it is about yeah there was a belief before that we could predict when things would happen and that that was what was most important and I, I like that way of putting it. it it really isn't it is about right let's just you know if we can see it happening out there and it's got the potential to have a huge impact on us well we need to have thought about it and we need to have done some level of prep for it and yeah I think that's yeah now I think about it, I'm going, yes, more people should. I hope everyone involved in risk management has changed the way they're thinking of it to start to go along those lines. That, thank you so much for joining me today, Andrew. It's been really fascinating. It's you know a, a really big topic at a very timely point. And so your advice about what people can do to, to get started has been particularly important. If you'd like to find out more, you can follow Andrew on LinkedIn. And if you're headed to Northern Ireland, check out the Inside Trek. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks very much.